family is all that lives in sight and sound, touch and taste. Live, come on, be human and give, give, give. <laughs> the Woodstock Roundtable welcomes you to be a part of being human. Aho! Greetings, everyone. Welcome to the Woodstock Roundtable. Doug Grunther, your host, out on this beautiful summer morning. We look forward to some improvisational conversation. I'll be doing that with my eminent co-host, Radio Woodstock Weekend On Air Warrior Ron Van Wormer. Among the topics we will be discussing, I played Fortnite and figured out the universe. Can computers be taught ethics? The value of storytelling. And our featured guest at 8.30, Mitch Ditkoff, who is an innovation specialist, is the author of a new book, Storytelling for the Revolution. We will have music from our jazz impresario, the Sultan of Sonic Soul, Gus Mancini. We'll have an existential wrap-up with our favorite street philosopher, Patrick Carlin. And... This is an interesting day in history, aside from being Father's Day, and it will incite us to play a couple particular songs that might interest you. So we have a lot going on. We recommend you fasten your seatbelts. We hope it'll be a bumpy ride, because maybe being jolted a little bit will give us some new ideas. Hang out with us here at the Woodstock Roundtable. And open the pod bay doors, Al. It's time to do this again. Uh, good morning, everybody. Boy, I know June 21st is the official first day of summer. Screw that. It's summer. It's summer. It's it going to be hot. Good. It feels good. And uh, good morning, Ron. Good morning, Doug. Could be 90-plus degrees tomorrow. Is that right? Yeah. Bring it on. That's summer. Bring it on. And yet... Uh, you have a uh, <laughs> shirt over your shirt. Over my shirt. And a T-shirt under that. I have a sweater on. <clears throat> I guess as I get I never was a big cold air conditioning guy. I mean, obviously, when it gets really hot, air conditioning is really nice to have. Yeah. But most buildings and most homes are way too cold for they me. They are I too cold. like being chilled you walk past some stores in new york city and the doors are open on those stores and the blast of cold air <laughs> hits you in the face yeah and that, boy that's good that's good energy efficiency oh right? i know yeah we love that but at any rate um uh i still like fans you know i mean, I, I have ceiling cool. fans at home and yeah. i probably have four or five other fans you know going one in the window one over here one over there now as soon as i, I say like ceiling fans. fan I have an image of Sydney Greenstreet, Sydney Greenstreet in an all-white suit, uh-huh. plotting yeah. some nefarious deed. I have that suit 
from a number of <laughs> movies. Yeah. A couple of them starring Humphrey Bogart. Yeah. I know. A little bit of... Uh, but uh, anyway, um, lots to talk about uh, today. Um, I want to start off with this. You know, um, there, there are a lot of issues that get us riled up, a lot of things that bother us. But right now there is, there is a morality play here in America being played out that is uh, very powerful. And this has to do... Uh, with the Trump administration policy of separating families yeah. at the border. And what makes it a particularly intriguing one is that now a bunch of Republicans uh, are saying this this is just not right. And Congress actually is going to, for the first time in a long time, going to act. Yeah. Um, and act Hopefully. not in lockstep with their political parties, but, but actually feeling to, to do what's right. Yeah. And... Um, the odds are pretty good they're going to do something about this pretty soon, as, of course, should be. Um, it's a, it, it, monstrous, monstrous strategy. And, of course, you know, we've talked about this. We love quoting uh, the Yeats poem, um, uh, the, the Second Coming, mm-hmm. which talks about the center cannot hold. And Yeats was, was referring to many things, including, when he wrote it, the, the, the chaos of World War I. Yeah, the most horrific war at that time that had ever been fought, and the center cannot hold. And we're talking about how we're in a period globally where the center cannot hold. And if one wants to take a glass half full look at that, the only time in evolution, or even in uh, if we want to think as big as evolution in terms of just history, the only time major changes can happen is when there's no real center. Yeah. When there's a center, you can make gradual changes. The danger of not having a center, and we're in one, yeah. is chaos can reign. Yes. Um, but the, it's but with but the, when the center cannot hold, there's also an opportunity for dramatic change that would no longer would not be possible um, if the center was holding. And something like tearing kids away from their parents at the border for doing nothing else than doing what has been but a mainstream American theme since we invented ourselves a couple hundred years ago, which is we welcome immigrants. Uh We are a nation of immigrants. On the other hand, a case can be made. You don't just let, you know, everybody in. If they, let's say, if they have a horrible criminal record, it might not be a good idea to let them in. Okay. So at any rate, while this is playing out, what's fascinating about Trump, both plus and minus, is that he is, and this is not a political statement. It's a factual statement. He's a congenital liar. <laughs> well, now, yes, he is. I can't say, and I don't know if anyone else can say with absolute certainty, whether his constant lying is conscious or just actually what he believes is true. <sighs> My guess, it's a combination of both. I don't know that. But, you know, and all politicians lie. Yes, they do. But but no one, no politician, ever lied to the degree that he is lying. It's congenital. It's 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 never stops. It's it's to distract. It's to change the subject. It's whatever it, it, it is. He says basically, it seems to me, whatever it takes to take everyone's mind off of whatever else. And they're it's thinking a very effective about. strategy. He's been doing it a long time. Yeah, and it's working for him. Yes and no. Um, the reason we don't. The reason I say yes and no. It's working for him. It got him elected. Mm-hmm. 
And could get him reelected. It could get him reelected. He has a strong base of support. Mm-hmm. But uh, my sense is I think we're in Nixonian territory, another extreme liar who, um, and again, we understand all of us lie, and politicians in particular. Yeah. We're talking degree. Well, you'd never get elected if you told the truth. Correct. <laughs> it's true. You'd have Just, no chance. No. Um, so I think we're in a Nixonian situation where this Mueller investigation, I think, will undo him. I don't know that, but that's my guess. I, it feels it's very similar to Watergate, where just things keep adding up and adding up. And people say, well, if that were true, why didn't it happen by now? Go back and read your history. It did. It, it took quite a while to get Richard Nixon to resign. Nixon got, well re-ele- over, he got reelected. Well, but he got reelected. We didn't know about Watergate. Yeah. Didn't was not really revealed until after he was reelected. Um, and it took well over a year. Yeah. For the whole mechanism to work itself out. So it brought to mind a story I want to tell, a true story, about a guy I met who was a congenital liar. Uh But he was not a dangerous congenital liar, at least as far as I knew. Right. In terms of my situation. But I remember it so freaked me out. I'm going to give you the story. (laughs) It so freaked me out that I couldn't respond immediately. And then when I finally did, I realized I let him off the hook because he there was no sense that he was looking to do anything nasty to anybody. Mm. Here's the story. But it just blew my mind. (laughs) Okay. All right. All right. I got into college because. Because they were looking for tennis players, okay? So, um, <laughs> but Columbia doesn't give athletic scholarships. So, um, but they were recruiting for, for tennis. So I'm on the team. And I was dating a woman from Sarah Lawrence, which is a school in the Bronx. And um, she said, oh, there's a guy up here um, uh, he shows up at, at tennis courts up here, and um, uh, somehow it was told to me he, he knows you because he's on the Columbia tennis team. I said, oh, who is it? And she gives me the name, and he's not on the Columbia tennis team. <laughs> there were only, there were only uh, eight of us, okay? Uh-huh. I knew, so you knew I, them I knew all. the other seven. Okay. Well, I'm up there visiting her at Sarah Lawrence, and... Somehow it works out that he wants to he, he wants to play on the courts there. So I go, this is going to be interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so she shows up. She's got her friends there because we're going. What's going on here? He's insisting he's on the team. So I'm going. Well, people lie all the time. Maybe it was just an ego thing or something like that. But but why would he agree? To play with me on the courts at Sarah Lawrence when he, he knows he's going to get busted. Uh huh. And I'm th- I'm looking at this as kind of a challenge. Who is it? I'll show this guy, right? So we meet at the tennis court, and I shake the hands, and he acted. He didn't go, "Oh, I'm sorry, I was lying. I was just, you know." He didn't. He just said, "Hey, how you doing?" Never brought up that he was that he was on the team or wasn't on the team, right? Uh-huh. Just acted as if everything was the way he said it was, which is he's on the team, I'm on the team. And I wanted to bust this guy. 
but uh, something else came into my brain and I and I felt in a certain way good for him. <laughs> he stood up to the pressure. Yeah. He knows I could bust him right in front of and there were about 20 people around to to see what was going on because there was a buzz about this and and I just shook his hand as if everything was fine. We hit some balls and this and that, shook his hand and said goodbye. Good politician. I saw no reason to pull the rug out from under him because he seemed like a very nice guy. Uh-huh. He wasn't bragging or anything like that. He would just have told people around and my girlfriend said, oh, he's you know him, he's on your team. No, he wasn't. No. Wow. Do you ever and see I him again? A, no. no. But I remember being astonished that somebody could live in a bubble like that and be... That's not surprising. People do that all the time. People lie. People, we all maybe exaggerate, you know, some of our abilities. But if we get caught. But when you're in a situation where you know you're going to get busted, you either don't go into the situation, right? You avoid it uh-huh. or you cop to it. He didn't either. Yeah. <laughs> he joyfully showed up just, and was ready to just, you know, hit balls and... So I, I said, well, but, but wasn't he worried that I was going to bust him in front of him? Could he wasn't play he? tennis? He was decent, yeah. All right. So, so like the a, lie was player. sort of... Yeah, it wasn't like he couldn't play. Right. <laughs> but I blew my mind. Yeah. That the, it, it taught me a lot about the human mind, that it's such a complex thing. And Donald but he, Trump he does just, it all He the was time. such an innocent, decent-seeming guy. Yeah. I saw no reason to bust him. And then I thought about him today when I, because I'm so outraged, not only that the Trump administration is tearing kids, literally tearing kids away from their parents. Not only that, you know how they're doing it? They're telling the parents, uh, we're just taking your kids um, for a medical exam. Mm. And then they don't bring them back. Yeah. And, and, and the judges that are sitting on these cases don't know where the kids are. There was one who was talking, they recorded the judge in the court talking to a woman, and the woman says, I just want to know when I'm going to get my child back. And he says, I have no idea where your child is. Hopefully somebody in the system will get you in touch with them. And our attorney general who announced this strategy quoted the Bible to support tearing kids away from their parents. Right. And if you read that passage in the Bible, it says you follow the law, but then it says if the law is with love. Which... Brings us to another interesting point where we are in the zeitgeist. And this has been true now, really, since John Stewart took over The Daily Show, which was probably, what, about 15, 20 years yeah. ago? We're in a period, oh God, McLuhan would love this, where things are so extreme that in many ways, our most effective ethical and moral teachers are comedians. Mm-hmm. Stephen Colbert is the one who, and I don't watch these shows, but I YouTube the monologues because watching Colbert's monologue um, and Bill Maher's monologue is, that's the most effective anti-Trump information coming out. Uh And uh, it was Colbert who pointed out, who who finished the Bible quote to show that Sessions was selectively using the Bible to support a totally immoral act. (laughs) Yeah. He's not the first one to do that. No, absolutely not. He's not the first millionth person to do that. Yeah. So it's just, 
it just intrigues me that we have this spectrum of, of the human brain because we all lie. Yes, consciously we do. and unconsciously. It's a question of degree and it's a question of intention. But uh, to Trump supporters, it doesn't really matter. It matters not a bit. But, you know, they like what he's doing, and whether he lies or is uh, misogynistic uh, doesn't really have anything to do with it because they like what he's doing. Mm -hmm. So go ahead, do be immoral, be whatever. Right. As long as you keep telling me that you're going to protect me right. from all these minorities and all these immigrants and all this globalization and all these foreigners and, yeah. Yeah, and so it's working for him. Now you want to read an article. You want to read some brilliant journalism. Uh, I have a nutritionist. She's a guest on the show a number of times, and when I go to see her, she has in her waiting room Time Magazine. Uh huh. So that's when I catch up on Time Magazine. All right. And you know what? They have, uh, they have some pretty interesting things. Yeah, I she, read it. But she also had New York Magazine, uh -huh. which I hadn't really been reading since oh. I moved out of New York 38 years it's ago. It's a good magazine. New York Magazine is, is a very good magazine. I, I have a subscription. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Did you read the Frank Rich article on um, Roy Cohn? Yes, and I Donald did. Trump. Oh, yes. First of all, Frank Rich was, for many, many, many years, the theater critic right. of the New York Times. It turns out he's also a kick-ass journalist on yeah. a number of subjects. And he wrote a brilliant article on Roy Cohn yeah. and his influence on Donald Trump. For those who don't know, Roy Cohn was about as controversial a figure as you can get in modern American politics and yeah. modern American culture. He was He came to fame in the 50s when he worked, as did Robert Kennedy, by the way, with Joseph McCarthy. Uh-huh. The difference between Roy Cohn and Bobby Kennedy was Bobby Kennedy matured and became actually a champion of civil rights and a champion of the disadvantaged. But Roy Cohn, first of all, was a closeted gay man. Mm -hmm. That did not distinguish him. It was Unfortunately, a good idea to stay in the closet if you were gay in the 1950s. Yes. Um, very repressive decade. It was the decade of the House on Un-American Activities, where if you had a party and a communist showed up, they could throw you in jail. Yeah. If you didn't rat on your friends. And blacklist you if you right. didn't. It was, it was a very repressive era. And Roy Cohn was a very, very smart, very vicious... Um, attorney, mm -hmm. closeted gay man who thought Joe McCarthy was the greatest person who ever lived. Even after McCarthy was exposed, Roy Cohn went on to a extremely successful career as a power broker in Manhattan. Yeah. And Roy Cohn basically taught Donald Trump how to be Donald Trump. Yeah. And Roy Cohn's strategy, which was very effective, unfortunately, he was, was always lie if you have to. Mm -hmm. Never admit you did anything wrong. Yeah. And always be the first to attack. Yeah. And be as vicious as you can. 
And Donald Trump learned the lessons well. And he was very successful. You'd think you'd get your comeuppance, but you see what Rich writes about, and this is where it gets interesting, is that Roy Cohn was so powerful that Democrats and Republicans equally sought favors from him, knowing that he was a creep, yeah. knowing that he was a vicious thug. But he could get you elected. He could get you a big contract. He could get things done because he, he bullied his way to the top of the power broker scene. As I recall, he was, uh, rela- he was involved with Rudy Giuliani as well mm-hmm. in, that, uh, in that article. There was- and so the, the young Trump learned at, his knee, learned at, at Roy Cohn's knees, and if you look at his strategy. It's been very effective. Got him elected president. Who knew? Yeah. Always lie if it's to <laughs> your benefit. Always attack and deny everything. Yeah. If the truth is being illuminated on a neon sign right behind you, just say it's not true. Yeah. That's the Roy Cohn strategy. And it works. And what Frank Rich writes about is that, so, you know, before Democrats get too haughty about taking the moral high ground, Hillary Clinton was asked, why did you go to Donald Trump's wedding? Mm-hmm. At Mar-a-Lago. And she said, oh, Bill, or, uh, B- Bill Clinton had a speech. It was shown that was not true. Ah. They went to his wedding because when you went to Donald Trump's wedding, you would meet other power brokers. Sure. Trump made sure, because he was taught by Roy Cohn how to do it, Roy Cohn would throw parties at Studio 54, right? Uh-huh. Cocaine 80s, right? Yeah. Roy Cohn had, had a birthday. Frank Rich writes about this. It's New York Magazine. Google it. Frank Rich, um, Roy Cohn, Donald Trump. It's fascinating. Yeah, it is. It's the human psyche at its best and worst. So, uh, Cohn would throw, would throw a birthday party for himself at Studio 54. Just about every powerful progressive showed up, knowing this guy was a vicious <laughs> right-wing thug. Why'd they show up? It was the place to be. It was a good place to be seen. It was good for your career to be seen there. Uh-huh. And you were probably going to meet someone who could help you make a deal. Yeah. And so they looked the other way. So before Democrats get on their high horse to say, how can, how can decent people support Trump? So-called decent people made it possible for Trump to be successful in New York City, which made it impossible for him to be president. Yeah. Okay, he wasn't just getting the help of conservatives and right wingers and bigots, which did help him. He was he everyone looked the other way because it was because there was something in it for them if they looked the other way, including progressives. Yeah, absolutely. People took money from Donald Trump. Republicans and Democrats Mm -hmm. took Donald Trump's money because it was money. And they knew what he was. They knew he was a bigot, which they knew he was a crook. Yeah. They knew everything. But it's our political system that makes that happen as well. No, it's Part our, it. well, it's, it's not only our political system, it's our cultural system, it's our society, and it's, let's be honest, human nature. It's not just in America that this goes oh, on. No. This is, you know, the test of human ethics. And, and, you know, if, hey, as long as there's something in it for me, I'll look the other way. Yeah. How many of us have been guilty of that? Well, certainly. Uh, Now it's coming home to roost. Yep. 
And it's happening not just in America. It's happening all over That's the world. It. It's about the and, human, and, human and, and you're seeing a replay of things that happened many, many years ago. A, a ship with 600 immigrants came to Italy. Italy turned them away. That's right. Spain accepted them, but I recall a ship coming to America uh, before Nazi Germany, before the war, and we turned them away. And they were actually sent back to Germany, the, 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 the Jews that were trying to get away. And many of them died in the concentration camps. That's true. Oh, and by the way, both John and Robert Kennedy's father... And George W. and George Bush and George George W. Bush's grandfather, George Herbert Walker Bush's father. This is history. This is fact. Yeah. Knowing what Hitler was doing, still did business with him. Oh yeah, because it was good for business. Yeah. Well, it ruined Kennedy's chance of becoming president. The older Kennedy, the right. father. He right. wanted to be president, right. and, he, and, and he was just too much of a, a Hitler supporter. Mm -hmm. so. so at any rate, welcome to the human psyche. We, yeah. have, some, we have some work to do. Yeah. <laughs> I guess we do. We have some work to do. At any rate, uh, when we come back, I want to talk about a um, fascinating article from The Atlantic. I played Fortnite and figured out the universe. Okay. And then we'll get into... Um, a, a, a trend that is really intriguing, uh, which is that we have now not hundreds, but thousands of computer scientists, neurobiologists, seriously looking at how to teach computers ethics. As computers get not only more well, powerful, but well, more pervasive in our lives. That's going to be very important. Well, if they're going to be if... <laughs> And there's a lot of controversy around if and when they'll be driving our cars. But uh -huh. if and when they're driving our cars, well, here's what we do know. They're going to be running our homes. Yeah. They're going to be running, they're going to be controlling the electrical grid. Um, they're going to be, we're going to not just have smartphones, we're going to have smart cars, smart homes, smart offices, and smart public places, all integrated with artificial intelligence. You know, at what point does ethics become crucial? Mm. And can a computer be taught ethics? Well, that's what's being looked at right now. And, um, and our guest at 8.30 will be Mitch Ditkoff, who's an innovation specialist and has just published a new book called Storytelling for the Revolution. We'll have music from the Sultan of Sonic Soul, a visit from Patrick Carlin, all happening here at the Woodstock Roundtable. <laughs> So I don't play video games. The only game I play on my computer is a game I first started playing off the computer called Boggle, uh -huh. which I love. It's a great, great 
word game. But I don't play video games. Um, there's a lot of dismay over the amount of time kids spend playing yeah. video games, just as when we were growing up, a lot of dismay over the time we sent, spent in front of the TV set. Same. That's ten, you're still in front of the TV set. It's just a different screen. Well, and it does play on the brain a little differently, but an article by Robert Sloan, May 10th, Atlantic, <clears throat> I, th- I found pretty intriguing hmm. because... And we'll talk about this with our guest, uh, Mitch Ditkoff, later. There are three basic ways we learn. One is trial and error. Yeah. By the way, most living organisms on this planet share that capability of learning by trial and error. Uh, You put your hand on a hot stove when you're a kid, chances are you're not going to do it again. Do it twice. Even if your parents tell you not to do it, you still do it. You still do it. And once, usually once you hit that trial, you don't make that error again, yeah. usually. But that's true of a squirrel. That's true of, a, of an amoeba. So we learn by trial and error. We also learn a lot from games, playing games. In fact, game theory, there are game theorists who feel that the universe itself could be broken down into a game. Hmm. Very serious. You know, games are not necessarily frivolous or right. just for fun. There are serious games, right? Sure. Chess is a pretty serious game, but it can be fun. War games. War games. Okay. And one of the issues around video games, the same way it's around TV and movies, is most of them are violent. Yeah. Well, welcome to the human condition. We're, the old part of our brain is mammalian and reptilian which has to deal with violence. Now, what's so interesting about this article is where it ends up, because it ends up in a place where the author was not expected to be, and where I wouldn't have expected him to get to. Hmm. I played Fortnite and figured out the universe. Fortnite Battle Royale is the world's most popular video game. It was released last September. It's being played by millions of people at a time. Wow. The difference between us watching TV in the 50s and 60s and playing video games now is, yeah, millions of people could watch the same show in the 60s, but we weren't connected to each other. There's no interaction. No interaction. In this game, Fortnite Battle Royale, you're you're dropped in. Uh, into the sky above a richly rendered island. 99 other players all parachuting down alongside you. So I guess 100 people play at a time. Wow. And you could be anywhere in the world playing this, right? So you and 99 other people on the screen are being parachuted down onto an island. You angle yourself toward your preferred terrain, and as soon as you touch down, you're searching for a weapon, any weapon. Because if you don't get a weapon, other people can get a weapon, you're annihilated. What are we being taught here? Yeah. The answer might surprise you. The island is ringed by a glowing circle that periodically shrinks. Hmm. Shepherding the players into an ever smaller area. Now, what is this a metaphor for? The globalization. 
which freaking out people enough to vote Trump into office. The fact that our globe has shrunk, Marshall McLuhan in the 60s famously predicted a global village, which can be an immense advantage. We can learn about each other better. But when mammals are put into close space with each other, we're territorial. Yeah. All hell usually breaks loose. And here it's encouraged. So now you're in a smaller and smaller area. You've gotten some weapons. And the last one standing of the 100 wins. Mm-hmm. Welcome to evolution. <laughs> in other similar games, this is a gruesome progression. But Fortnite renders everything with a cartoony bounce. When a shot lands, the result is in carnage. Just holographic dematerialization. Hmm. So you don't feel any pain. Yeah. You just lose. No blood, no guts. Fortnite's island is big. Even with 100 players, it's not unusual to find yourself crossing a wide open field or exploring an abandoned house with no one else in sight. These sequences often last several minutes. But then inevitably your solitude is broken. I hate when that happens. Nah. And it's those breaks that constitute for me, the journalist, most of the game's appeal. You'll glimpse a tiny silhouette on the far ridge. So small, you can count the pixels. <laughs> it's another player descending fast, coming your way. Or you'll hear the far-off blast of a weapon, source unseen. The sound artfully shaped by the game's impeccable audio engine. Sight or sound, the response is the same. You prepare yourself. Presence is menace. Mm-hmm. Or is it? Yeah. At the same time as I've been playing this game, I've been making my way through a popular science fiction trilogy, and the books have spun my evenings with Fortnite into a deeper, weirder dimension. One of the books is named for a theory of cosmopolitics articulated by one of its characters that addresses the mismatch between the apparent scale of the universe, which is vast, and the observed number of high-tech civilizations. We're the only one we found yet. (laughs) So far. Even if high-tech civilizations are vanishingly rare, we are dealing with an entire universe here. So the odds are there are there, there's other intelligence right. out there, right? In, in this book, the main character says the universe is teeming with high-tech civilizations, but their activities are constrained by a few hard truths. First, because communication between stars, even at the speed of light, It could take thousands of years for a signal to reach us or our signal to reach them. So civilization civilization could actually be gone by the time we got the message. Correct. It always freaked me out when I learned that at night when you look at an evening star, you see the star? Yeah. It may not exist. I know. Because it takes time for light to travel here from that star. And during that time... It could have disappeared. It could have imploded. Yeah. Or exploded. Okay. So by now you've detected the connection to Fortnite, the game. There's no chat in the game, no way to even lie about your intentions. Wow. The only signal you send is your presence, your tiny silhouette on the far ridge. And presence is menace. Because you have to assume that anyone else has a weapon. And since the purpose of the game is to be the last one standing. What, what, what is your motivation? Get rid of everybody else. Right. 
Once within striking distance of another player, if you don't try your best to end their game, they will end yours. <laughs> and it's thrilling to win a duel. It's disappointing to lose, and after a while, I really am not very competitive. I should probably do something other than play these video games. <laughs> but the knowledge of that disappointment in the other players' room began to mute the triumph in my own. As I played through this loop of all against all, I began to wonder, is this really it? Then a breakthrough. Okay? Uh-huh. Here's where it gets interesting. I'm, I'm curious now. See, let's back up a little bit. The most popular game when I was growing up, maybe when you were growing up, was the Monopoly. Yeah. Okay. What is that game teaching? It's Donald Trump. Yes, it is. You gate those properties and you try to bankrupt everybody else. And, and, and it's Atlantic City. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, right? Monopoly was the most popular game when I was growing up. I love yeah. that game. Yeah. It's a zero-sum game. Game theory. What's a zero-sum game? Zero-sum game is, in order for me to win, you have to lose. That's right. Now, in Monopoly, you might make a deal with, with somebody for properties, but ultimately, you're trying to bankrupt them. That's right. And you want all the money at the end. Yeah. In Fortnite, you're the one to be the last one standing. It, it, interesting. My brother and I stopped playing Monopoly consciously because we just decided we didn't want to oh, do you're that too progressive. to each other you're anymore. Too, you're too progressive. <laughs> Grow up. I know. <clears throat> Need a little more Roy Cohn in you. <laughs> so, all right, so where is this going? So the thing is about it that I see, and, and, I, and I hope there's a twist in this, if you el eliminate everyone else, you're alone. But you've won the game. But what's the point if you're alone? Oh, but we'd say it's only a game. But meanwhile, yeah. remember, and we haven't given the third way we learn yet. First way we learn is trial and error. Right. We and all the other animals out there learn by trial and error. We also learn by games. Well, okay, maybe squirrels don't play Monopoly. But when they're chasing each other and playing around, or when puppies are playing, or when lion cubs are playing, mm. they're rehearsing survival techniques. Uh-huh. So we learn, as do other animals, doesn't distinguish us from other animals, from games right. or play. The third way we learn, that as far as we know, we're the only species on this planet to learn this way, and therefore it could be stated with some confidence, it's, it's the reason for us being the most intelligent creatures on this planet, until AI surpasses us, if that happens. Yeah. We tell stories. Ah. Morality tales, stories. Yeah. As far as we know, squirrels and dogs and puppies and lions and amoeba don't tell stories. Uh -huh. Talk about a two-edged sword. Our president is telling a fictional story almost every minute he opens his mouth. But stories can also be the best teaching tools. All right, so now we're going back to the game. Okay. Here we are, Fortnite. It seems like a zero-sum game, pure and simple. Uh -huh. In order for me to win the game, I got to make sure everyone else is gone. Right. Here's where the surprise comes in. A breakthrough. 
I unlocked a critical upgrade. Oh, here's what I was going to say about Monopoly. Before we played Monopoly, we read the rules. They told you all the rules. They could even read the strategies. In this game, they don't give you a whole set of rules and strategies. Oh, and you might want to do this. Oh, and when this happens. Now, people will create those Uh and put them out there. But in the game, you basically just throw yourself into the game and see what happens. And you, you learn as you go. You learn different ways of getting weapons, different ways of, right? Right. All right, so here's this journalist playing this game. And he's a little freaked out. He wants to win. But he's realizing, like you realize and your brother realizes with Monopoly, that what am I doing here? What am right. I inculcating? Okay. He, I unlocked a critical upgrade to the game. Ah. It's an emote, an action outside the boundaries of run, jump, aim, shoot. It's a heart. It shows up as a heart. Hmm. I can now press a key on my computer and cause a dorky cartoon heart to appear above my character's head. Uh So he discovers this by accident. Now, in possession of a heart, I began to negotiate. In the beginning of each game, immediately following the parachute drop... Uh I would often discover that another player had chosen the same landing spot as me. (laughs) What better opportunity for collaboration? We could divide the nearby resources and part ways peacefully, perhaps to meet again further down the line, both of us better prepared for a battle. Mostly it didn't work. Uh I would holster my weapon, throw up my heart, right? Uh And get blasted in the (laughs) face. (laughs) You yeah. gotta love this game. I most popular game in the world. I know. Okay. I know. So now you gotta think about this. Wait a minute. Am I being I wanna put up a heart because I wanna show someone else and my attention that I just wanna kill you. Maybe we could collaborate and and be better at this game. Maybe maybe we create a game where the two of us survive and we win. Ah. Right? Is that feasible? Well, the first time he put a heart above himself, he got blasted. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, can we... two people agree to win if they're the two left standing? Let's continue. Okay. Excellent question. Uh huh. Okay. Worse than being blasted in the face after <laughs> I put a heart above my character, I'd offer my heart and it would be accepted. I knew this because I received a heart in return. So you're learning the game as you go. You put up your heart, the other one you either get the other person either shoots you uh-huh. or can give you a heart in return. Sometimes it'd be a merry dance emo- emoji, right? <laughs> and then delighted with our teamwork, I would turn around and get blasted in the back. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of Roy Cohn's playing this aye, game. Aye, aye. Yeah. Well, a lot of Bill Clinton's playing this game, right? Hard to I, trust what, what, anybody what, in that world. Uh, well, that, welcome to the game. <laughs> welcome to the game. We go on. I tried this neg- negotiation many times with no success. And my, is this it, curdled into, is this us? Mm. These were just the rules of the game. It's very designed. But even so, what a dire environment. What a cruel species. Yeah. yeah. I'm getting choked up. <laughs> <laughs> And laughing at the same time. <laughs> then one night it worked. And in many games since, it's worked again. Huh. Mostly I get blasted, but sometimes <laughs> I don't. 
And when I don't, the possibilities bloom. Sometimes after I face off with somebody and stand down and put a heart up, the other player and I go our separate ways. More frequently, we actually stick together. Uh-huh. I've crossed half the map with impromptu allies. Wow. Now, remember, nowhere does it give you advance warning or, you know, that you can do these things. Right. You've got to learn. When it works, it's usually because I have a weapon and my potential ally doesn't. Ah. Here's where it gets interesting. This is not just some new age thing where we're all going to learn is, oh, if we all just put hearts up, we'll all be a great, we'll all do better. It's a little more complicated than that. Uh-huh. We still have a mammalian or reptilian part of our brains. <clears throat> all right. When it works, it's usually because I have a weapon, my potential ally doesn't, because in addition to putting up a heart, sometimes you lose your weapon, yeah. and you're defenseless, and you're, you know what's going to happen. You're going to get You're going to get blasted. Yeah. But I got into a situation where I had a weapon, my potential ally didn't, when shockingly I don't blast them, and even more shockingly do not pull a bait and switch, namely I put up a heart, and then he's, when the other person's confident and turns around, I shoot him. Right. Okay. The bait and switch. When that, a real human connection is established on a channel deeper than any afforded by the interface. Then, very reliably, when, other, when the other player acquires a weapon of their own, sometimes it's a gift from me. If you have more than one weapon, you have the ability to give the weapon to your now ally. There's no double cross. Huh. So... When the journalist first started doing this, he was getting blasted every time he put a heart yeah. up. Then he realized the only way this is going to work is if I have a weapon the other person doesn't, and I prove to the other person I'm willing to be your ally. Here's a weapon. Wow. It's never tenuous. You both have your weapons out. Sprinting down steep trails, my ally's footfalls crunching loud in my headphones. Either of us at any time could flick our wrists and end the other and, and kill the other one. Uh-huh. Collecting their stockpile of weapons. Yeah. But we don't. Huh. When they're successful, these negotiations are more nervy and exciting than the game's most intense shootouts. I'm not the only one who thinks so. There are now forums dedicated to Fortnite. <laughs> Battle Royale. Of course. And some players share clips of chance alliances and others reply glumly, quote, super rare to find someone who won't shoot you when you emote. Uh-huh. I dream of a political fortnight in which victory goes not to the twitchiest sniper, but the most charismatic organizer, with factions forming and dissolving. I imagine the fear and thrill of seeing not one, but a dozen tiny silhouettes on the far ridge, a war band sweeping down fast. I'm outnumbered. Can I convince them to let me join them? There's another great exception to the zero-sum game of, of Fortnite. Hidden around the island... Can't make this stuff up. <laughs> Hidden around the island, there are dance floors. Hey, of course there are. Now, of course, if it's Roy Cohn's disco party at Studio 54, <laughs> you you're going to get shot. The lights are still flashing and the music still um, bouncing around amidst the desolation. It's a well-established that the dance floors are demilitarized zones. Ah. This isn't a rule of the game. As far as Fortnite's code is concerned, a discotheque is as good as a place for blasting as a dry creek bed. So you can kill them. So you, you, when you go to the discotheque, you can still shoot everybody. <laughs> uh-huh. That happens. But the players disagree. 
Now we're now this is this this is this is interesting. We're this is evolution in a, in a, in, a, in a freaking video game. Cause think about this. As much as I've lost faith in Homo sapiens <laughs> to solve the major problems that we primarily have caused, climate change, constant war, failure to feed billions of people, right? We ain't solving that. With the help of AI, we might. Uh-huh. Or maybe we'll genetically engineer ourselves to be better moral human beings. Who knows how this is going to play out? Because evolution is about to shift. Yeah. And we may not be the most intelligent species in 50 years, 100 years. We don't know. But as much faith as I've lost in Homo sapiens, here's a glass half full argument. More than one country had the ability to destroy the world with nuclear weapons for well over 50 years. Mm-hmm. And we haven't done it. I know. Even what are the odds we, of that? Even though we don't like each other. What are the, uh, what are the odds of that? So yeah. there is a glass half full argument. All right, back to Fortnite here. Yeah. <laughs> So, yes, you can get blasted at the discotheque. But Aye. A discotheque is as good a place for blasting a dry, as a dry creek. But the players disagree. If a renegade dares turn against the crowd at a discotheque, the crowd teams up against them <laughs> and takes them out. Uh-huh. And then gets back to dancing. Wow. <laughs> Sounds like a Leonard Cohen song, doesn't it? Uh-huh. What's that song? Pull it up. Leonard Cohen, um, dancing to the end of... Oh, God, what a song. Yeah. Uh, oh, anyway. Dance to the end of time. I think. Yes, that's oh, it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Right. Get, get ready for that. Oh, my God. Fasten your seatbelts. Here we go. All right. Now, this norm isn't absolute. It's also a bit of a cheat because it's been established largely outside the game on message boards and streaming channels where Fortnite players gather. So think about this because it's evolution. Here's this game. People are taking it seriously. And you know what happens when you're immersed in a game. It's reality. <laughs> But now you have what wasn't available to us baby boomers growing up with television, which is the ability to create chat rooms and message boards where people talk about the game and can educate each other about various strategies. So there's a meta game going on, a game beyond the game, right? Where people are talking about this stuff. And on the message boards, some players have stumbled onto dance floors with no idea what to expect and have been shocked at what they saw. This gives us another lever against the steel trap dark logic of the zero-sum game. It's called culture. (laughs) I've been in exactly two games of Fortnite, the last player standing. This is the journalist. Twice he's won the game. The reward for players who achieve victory is that in all subsequent games, they drop to the island not with a bulky parachute, but a svelte parasol. <laughs> I guess by winning you become Mary Poppins. Yeah. I don't really get this. I don't know. I am darkly proud of my parasol, but prouder by far of the times I've stood on a hilltop with another player and created together a little island in the rushing river of the rules. Time and space for negotiation and trust. Uh-huh. If you see our tiny silhouettes on the far ridge, my alleys and mine, you'd better run. <laughs> Good article. Yeah. Um, uh, Interesting. I, I played Fortnite and figured out the universe. The Atlantic, May 10th, 2018. Robin Sloan is the journalist. Wow. Pretty good stuff. Yeah, I haven't played a game on a computer probably in thir- many years. 
<laughs> I when in, uh, Nintendo, I think was mm-hmm. that the first one or Atari. Atari. Atari came out in the 70s. Mm-hmm. I had one of those, and I played it like people play video games today. I would stay up till 4 o'clock in the morning <laughs> playing these games, mm-hmm. which had stupid little stick figures because right. that was the best they could do at that time. And, and then once I sort of mastered those games, I lost interest, and I haven't played a game since. Well, the games have gotten a little more in-depth, yeah. in, in intriguing, complex. Yeah, no kidding. But interesting what it, what it's intentionally or unintentionally teaching. Yeah. And there's um we'll talk about another time. There's a there's a wonderful philosophical um uh, conundrum called the 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 prisoner's dilemma, which we'll get to sometime. You could Google that yeah. one. It's a game theory uh, example that comes up as to. Is it really an advantage to see life as a zero-sum game? It's a legitimate question. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons I gave up tennis totally for golf, which no one could believe because tennis was the most important thing in my life. Yeah. <clears throat> I gave it up cold turkey. Is I was tired of the zero-sum game part of it. Now, yes, you can go out and hit balls with somebody for the sheer joy of it. Right. That's not how I learned tennis. Right. I learned tennis, you win. Cutthroat. You, you, you know, I, I didn't cheat, but right. I did everything I could to win. That was the purpose of it, and especially if you're on a team. If you can... Uh, <clears throat> you don't want to let your teammates down. Right. If you and, can win the point on the... But you serve. can't... And, and, you do you, it. And yes, you can beat somebody with good and be a good sports and, and, and all that. But the fact of the matter is you can't win at tennis if someone else doesn't lose. Right. And that's true of... Many things, many sports. It's yeah. true of many things in life. It's called the zero sum game, and it's the mentality of both progressives and conservatives. Yeah. In order for me to win, you have to lose. Progressives thinks in order to win, Trump has to lose. The Trump supporters say in order for us to win, the progressives have to lose. Right. Where's that gotten us? Uh, where we are. Gotten us to the current cable news, which is, <laughs> I admit, addictive but perverse. Yes, it is. <clears throat> And by the way, at some point, the zero-sum game will destroy us. Yeah. And well, if there's only one person left standing, there's no well, or if there's one <laughs> side standing that's willing to say, you know what, the other side could launch a nuclear attack on us, so it it is in our interest to preemptively strike them. Mm-hmm. And I I know we're past our time, but this can be researched. I interviewed the guy. He got this information through um, Freedom of Information Act. In 1961, the Joint Chiefs of Staff called John F. Kennedy, the president, and Robert Kennedy, as attorney general, and said, we want a meeting. And at that meeting, it was recommended that the United States preemptively strike the Soviet Union with a nuclear weapon. This is during the Cuban Missile Crisis. In other words, the president was being given the advice by his military advisors to preemptively strike the Soviet Union with nuclear weapons. And the Kennedy said no. Well, and aren't we lucky? So maybe Fortnite's onto something. Maybe deep down we human beings have the ability when push comes to shove, to collaborate rather than compete. Maybe. Maybe. So far, we're still here. Yeah. 
Although you look around, a lot of people getting blasted in the face and in the back. We'll be right back.